Welcome back to another episode of Unplugged in St Kilda, the podcast series where we have a listen to the memories of musicians who lived in the area back in the 70s, 80s and 90s. We hear about the highlights of gigging here and what made St Kilda such a great live music hub. Today we're talking to someone known mostly for his role playing the trumpet in the great Aussie band Hunters and Collectors. He's an accomplished musician having toured with many other well-known bands and artists, as well as releasing his own solo albums. He's still playing in bands around St Kilda today. He teaches music, and he also holds the incredible achievement of having been inducted into the ARIA Hall of Fame. Welcome to the show, Jack Howard. Hi Sally, how are you? Good, thank you. Nice to have you here. Thanks for asking me. So, Jack, I usually ask our guests to summarise their musical careers as a first question, but you've had quite an in-depth one, so where do we start? Well, St Kilda is probably the best club place to start. My very first gig with Hunters um, was at the Seaview Ballroom on Fitzroy Street in 1981 and it was a very auspicious first gig. I, they, they were supporting The Cure and there was about 1,300 punters there and we played downstairs beforehand and it was the very first, my very first taste of rock and roll life up on stage there. So it was smack in the heart of St Kilda. Uh, and it just kind of went through from there. I mean, before I'd started playing with the band, I was involved in orchestras, big bands, things like that, following a, a fairly traditional trumpet player path. Um, but I was also going to see bands all the time with my sisters and a whole bunch of friends from uni and really just kind of starting to get a little bit of an itch for doing something like that. So I'd be, already been going to the ballroom and uh, look, that was probably the main St Kilda venue at the time, um, there were others around town, but that was certainly the, 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 the heart of it, I think, especially for the kind of bands that I liked, which was the, the kind of post-punk new wave, Flowers and the Models and, and those kind of bands. Plus a lot of international bands were going there. I saw John Cale, XTC Magazine, those kind of bands playing there as well. So I'd already been going there and, um, and then to get to play there was very special and it just 40 years later I'm still playing just around the corner of George Lane. George Lane, yep. <laughs> so that must have been quite big, having the very first gig at the Crystal Ballroom. Uh, yes, it was big. It was very big. <laughs> and, uh, and I was I was completely disorientated when I walked in because I, I kind of barely knew anyone in the band. I'd gone up to Mark, the singer, and John, the bass player, and said, hey, I play the trumpet if you want someone to come and play horns. And, um, and so I got in contact with someone and didn't know what I was going to play until about five minutes before we walked on stage and he finally showed me the line to the song Rendering Room. Wow. And I got up and did my best and, you know, that was it. That was a start. Yes, that was a start. <laughs> <laughs> and can you tell us about any other special buildings that were meaningful to you in St Kilda? So maybe a place you lived or rehearsed or maybe a record store or... Yeah, probably not so many record stores around then. Most of the, the, the record store action was in town at the time. Missing Link Records was the the really great independent store that was in the city and plus we were still going to Brashes, you know, and places like that. In terms of the building that was most associated with the ballroom was probably Topolino's Pizza Place. Yeah. Um, you know, they kind of went hand in hand, the two. Uh, as time went on, uh, there was also a joint called the Electric Ballroom but plus a few other venues down there that we became very associated with as well. One was the venue, which was the old St. Moritz Ballroom. Uh, so we did a, um, a pretty well-known – in fact, it was our, li- our first live album, The Way to Go Out, we recorded yeah. there. 
And so we played there a lot downstairs and upstairs. And then as I guess as we got bigger, we moved across the road to the palace once the palace was established, which is, I guess, more in the late 80s and through the early 90s and um, saw a lot of great shows there, saw Nirvana there, as a lot of people did or alleged they did. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'd a, like to say that I did. <laughs> in, in about 1992, I think, yeah. and saw ex, um, Public Image and, and Violent Femmes, all sorts of amazing bands there. And another joint called the Electric Baller, and then we kind of graduated a bit further up to the Palais. So, you know, and we also played a very uh, famous St Kilda Festival, the first St Kilda Festival, when when an incredible lightning storm came across just as we were finishing our set, wow. and uh, it was it was quite the scene. Uh, it was it was a very special St Kilda Festival. So a uh, very tight history from Hunters, and yep. quite a few of the videos also featured. Um, St Kilda talking to a stranger, our, our kind of pretty famous first video that Richard Lowenstein famously directed, uh, St Kilda Station, St Kilda Train yeah. Station was a central part of that and then we made many other other um, videos that, that were, you know, around the, around the area as well. Yeah. So if you had to choose one song, um, either from Hunters or what would you say sort of really described St Kilda or had it... Um, a very special St Kilda meaning to it. Uh, a really great one, which is possibly a lesser known one, was a song called January Rain, um, which really describes, you know, uh, I don't know, kind of sunset on the Esplanade and walking around the bottom of Fitzroy Street. Mark Seymour, the singer of Hunters, used to live in a little bedsit for a while, um, right down the bottom of the bottom end of Fitzroy Street, around about where Distasio's is, yeah. kind of upstairs, I think. And quite a few of the lyrics from um, Human Frailty uh, yep. came from there. A song called This Morning was also, which is, you know, a pretty famous big early song of ours and January Rain. I think we're kind of written around that time and down around there, the lyrics to those. So I, I'd, I'd probably plump for January Rain because it's a, it's a great song too. It's probably one of our lesser known ones. Yeah, excellent. And what was St Kilda like during the time... That you were well, if you're still, you might still be there. But what was it like when you first moved there? And uh, it was look, it was pretty grungy. But I mean, we we kind of didn't go. I mean, I get. My, I think my experience is possibly different to a, a lot of people. Uh, I didn't take drugs and I didn't drink, so yeah. I wasn't involved in the kind of the the seedy underworld, if you know, yep. if, if you like, of St Kilda. When I'd first started in the band, I was still living in Oak Park which is out near Broadmeadows, and so I drive home every night after shows. Yeah. Um, after drinking my raspberry lemonades <laughs> and um, probably having a packet of mixed lollies from the local, yeah. lo- local <laughs> shop on the way home for the sugar hit. Um, so I'm probably atypical there. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, I'm well, I was well aware of, you know, a lot that was going on, but probably I certainly wasn't involved in it. You know, so say the... the you know the birthday party kind of scene, and 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 uh, you know that darker side, yeah. uh, the heroin side, etc. I wasn't a part of. Yeah. So we didn't get to see much of that. Uh, we got as far as Topolino's. I mean, I liked to be, but I was driving home every night. Uh, but it would look. It was just so special. The ballroom. It was just. If you look back now, and the number of not just musicians, but arts people, fashion people. Um, creative people, architecture—you know—all of those, all of those kind of arts, arts and arts-related scenes. A lot of those people were there at that time, 
uh, and all went off into different directions from, from you know, people like the birthday party in Nick Cave to, to fashion people, Martin Martin Grant, you know, used to be a big part of his big fashion in London, you know, Teresa Liano, you know, Bettina Liano, all those kind of people, uh, and filmmakers, of course, as well. It was a really, really thriving, very um, eclectic and energetic kind of scene. You know, there was a lot going on yeah. you know, just everywhere. I'm sure it was good to be a part and of that. Paint, paint, painting as well, you know, yeah, paint, painters yep. as well, big, big, big part of it. Yeah, um, a lot of people that we've spoken to so far have said similar things um, that around the Crystal Ballroom, um, it was just more like a, a hub of yeah, the creativity and, mm. you know, you go and meet other musicians and yep. um, probably still have a lot to do with them today. Um, you know, it, it sounds like it was a really exciting place to be. Well, there are, there are people that go right back to the start of what I was doing there and outside of, let's say, Hunters, um, that I'm still involved with in various degrees from, you know, Paulie Stewart for Painters and Dockers, yep. um, who were all kind of mates who we were going to see bands before we were in bands, uh, to people like the Models, um, who, you know, I was a massive fan of and have since, since worked extensively with all of those kind of people as well. Um, a lot of friends who were artists back then as well, who, who uh, I still see and I'm still involved with. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty incredible. And, and, you know, for the ones who've actually survived to this, to this day and managed to, you know, not be six feet under, um, yeah. which is a lot of them, um, you know, it's, it's still a, uh, there's a lot of great relationships that go back that, you know, way back to those days. So with the Hunters and Collectors, you mentioned recording a live album in St Kilda. Mm-hmm. Um, that was at Earl's Corn. Yes, yeah, so Earl's called the venue, and and um, for a long while we were just playing downstairs. We we kind of slowly graduated to upstairs, which was a much bigger room upstairs. And in fact, the upstairs room, for, actually, for a good look, going back to the video question, for a good look at uh, St Kilda from around, you know, the mid eighties, we we did the video for Throw Your Arms Around Me yep. upstairs uh, at the venue, so you can get a really good look at that room and. I can't remember what else is in the video, but um, probably surrounds as well. Uh, so for a while we, we played down – in fact, we liked it downstairs better. Upstairs yep. was a little less intimate, a bit more impersonal, um, and, and downstairs was just like a bit a bit more of a party, you know, really like get your rocks off kind of party venue, you know, and did some shows also. <laughs> Actually, we had a fantastic uh, band called the Big Bang Combo, mm. which probably nobody these days has heard of, but it was a – it was a kind of a – I'll put this in inverted commas, which you can't see, a super group um, of, of people like Nick Seymour from Crowded House, Mark's brother, yep. um, people from the models, Kate Sobrano, um, Zan and Shireen, who, you know, went into to- I'm Talking and Big Pig, uh, and plus a lot of the Hunters guys. And we all formed this crazy super group where we did a bunch of covers and and, uh, and did all the dance moves to Jackson 5's I Want You Back and stuff like that. And we had a hoot of a time. I think we even got up to Sydney, but that, that with the, the shows, the first shows we did to that were downstairs at the venue. Yeah. And also we did some at the ballroom and uh, that, that was a lot of fun. There, there are a few kind of nightclubs to – I'm just trying to think. There were a lot of nightclubs that that whole scene revolved around as well. Um, there was a big dance scene, you know, and we are all just going out to places like Inflation and Meridian and – Eventually, the Razor Club, which is close to St Kilda, not quite in St Kilda, Hardware Lane. Um, so even though that that's not St Kilda, there was a there was a kind of related scene. I don't, I can't, I don't think there were dance clubs, nightclubs. I mean, the ballroom's still, 
you know, beyond the bands, we're still, we're still kind of doing stuff as well. But there weren't so many dance clubs in St Kilda from memory. We, yeah. we kind of, we hung out in the city a lot doing all that stuff as well. Yep. And so what impact did St Kilda have on you and your music? Oh, it's become, well, I, I guess if I, if I tried to evaluate that just on, on a musical output on or a more external level, I, I, I wouldn't think much. But having said that, um, I look back on my songs and my own lyrics, and this is from my own musical career, Jack Out and Long Lost Brothers, my own solo records that I've been doing over the last 20 years. There are a lot of songs that are very, very connected with St Kilda and, and uh, there's a song called Let Me Live that it's basically a, uh, a scene of beginning at the Esplanade Hotel and then moving up Fitzroy Street, moving along the Esplanade. It's almost like a little travelogue. Yep. You know, and it's it's probably my, not that I, you know, my songs are vastly well-known, but it's probably my most popular and well-known song amongst my own and certainly a lot of others uh, are really written around St Kilda. I mean, I moved to St Kilda... Uh, in about 85 from Oak Park. So I kind of moved down to East St Kilda, in fact, just around the corner from the studio here. Yep. Um, and then stayed in St Kilda in, you know, various guises for the next 15 years, briefly moved to Carnegie and then moved back to St Kilda in Elwood. And yep. I've been around this area ever since and I'm still, you know, living spitting distance from Ackland Street now. So it's been a very big part of my life. Um you know, the restaurants like Chicholina restaurant I've been going to for 27 years now, you wow. know, so so we played at the Dogs Bar, my own band, for like yep. a few years on a, on a Friday, you know, Sunday night until that bit the, bit the dust, unfortunately, yes, at the beginning yep. of COVID and uh, and even the Elwood RSL, so very, you know, not quite St Kilda but very close to St yep. Kilda. So I've kind of kept in this area and I guess a lot of my lyrics just by pure dint of that relationship uh, are very St Kilda kind of lyrics. I mean, the, the record that I've got coming up, uh, it's called Light Heavyweight 2. I put a record out called Light Heavyweight in 2018 on the back of touring, and this is I'm not name dropping here, but on the back of touring the world with Midnight Oil, Midnight Oil on yep. an incredible 77-day world tour, wow. which is just, you know, you can imagine it's just phenomenal. a, a mind-blowing experience. And so and I kind of had my laptop with me and I did a whole pile of music when we were away. And I put out this record called Light Heavyweight and the songs had these, you know, very alluring titles like Oslo and Vancouver and Paris, you know, <laughs> and, and they were kind of like electronica meets trumpet instrumentals. This next one has got titles like Grey Street, oh, uh, yeah. Elwood Canal. It's like, it's like the lockdown version of my international record. <laughs> so they're all, it's all very, very local. And like the lyric to Grey Street talks about, talks about I used to, I used to live here, I used to gig here. Um, this is where I, this is where I joined a band, blah blah blah. So it's it's very it's very specifically related to my musical history in St Kilda. In fact, l- last year uh, at George Lane, which for the people for anyone who doesn't know, we're talking a lot about the Seaview Ballroom. Yep. George Lane is a great new venue that it basically you enter in the lane around the back the of lane. the Seaview Ballroom, and there's a really terrific little venue there that holds about a hundred people. And I did. Um, a 40th anniversary show there of the very first Hunter show that I did. So we did that. In fact, we had to reschedule it. Um, yep. But we did those shows at the very end of last year. So, so uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a super related, my career, uh, yep. to, to the area. Excellent. And so what impact do you think you and your music had on St Kilda? Oh, well, uh, Hunter's had a very big impact and, and, and certainly, uh, well... 
people have a fondness for various uh, uh, parts of our career, if you know what I mean. Some people love the later stuff. Some people mm. love the early stuff. You know, the, the, what's the, the, the you know, the, the, is there a band called I Love Your I Loved Your I Loved oh, Your Early Stuff? Yeah, I think there's a song, isn't it? <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of people who were just connected to that, and that yep. was very ballroom ish. Uh, so we we certainly had a big impact, and were part of a, a, a major part of that of that scene. So that kind of legacy, I think, I think, kind of lives on. We moved on from there, but still, a lot of the places that we played were still, you know, we've got live at the Palais. You know DVDs and CDs, and you know the way to go out, and uh, and a lot of the songs related to it. So I, I guess you know it's a been a symbiotic kind of relationship. I guess I think I'm the only one that lives in St Kilda now. Everyone's yeah. kind of moved further afield. I'm the only one who's <laughs> <laughs> stuck, stuck in the centre of it. <laughs> <laughs> and why do you feel the suburb of St Kilda is so important for live music? Uh, a lot, I guess historically um, the things that, you know, attract rock musicians, I suppose, in particular, but that hold the bohemian kind of life. And I think even if that wasn't exactly what it perhaps had been, and I guess St Kilda's always had a history of that. You probably know that better than me. Um, a history of, you know, as a red light district and as a, as a bohemian kind of Melting pot, you know, from from the from the you know people who lived down in Ackland Street and came after the war, etc., etc. It's been it's been a, a central meeting place for arts related people, um, and I guess you know rock musicians love that. And of course, well, there's always the whole rebellious side of you know rock and not just rock music, but you know jazz music and and even classical to a certain extent as well. I mean. Uh, you know, you didn't follow the path and become uh, a lawyer or a, or a doctor, you know, but you, you kind of took a punt and, you know, yep. went on this musical journey. And, and and certainly, I mean, from rock music, there was just so many venues here. It was it was central. Um, I mean, the, the the part of all of this that I'm talking about with Hunters, we, we moved beyond the locals and killed the scene pretty quickly. So a lot of I would imagine a lot of venues that you will talk about with other people would be places like the Prince and the Esplanade and and other venues as well. Um, yep. we can't, we didn't play those. So right. I, I don't have a history of we played the Prince of Wales, but we never played the Espy. Mm-hmm. Um so so I have a probably a, a different history, you know, through all of those. I'm sure a lot of people will talk about the Prince and the and the, the small bar the Prince and you know, yeah. a lot of the a lot of the bands that started out there. We kind of had a, a slightly different path. You know, we kind of moved to London in '83, and then we kind of got big and toured the suburbs, and you know, and all of that kind of stuff. So that's a slightly different, um, a different perspective on it. But like I say, the allure was still there, and and a lot of those venues stayed through the, through all of that. So that there were always people playing the Prince, always playing people playing the SB, always playing a little bar here and there. And it managed to kind of carry on, I guess, into the 2000s. But then oh, I guess a lot of the bigger venues were just finding it possibly uneconomic. Uh, the Prince went, kept going for a long time and so did the ESPY. Um, but there, there seemed to come a point, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago when all of it just started to just dissipate a little bit, 10, 15 years ago perhaps. Just to dissipate a little bit, and and I don't know whether live music became less attractive. Maybe dance music became more popular. Um, the bands and just also the economics of having to pay bands and all the rest yeah. of it. You know, um, 
when when they're maybe a more attractive, just you know, catering to a dining crowd mm. and a you know, a DJ. Um, so it certainly started to get a little bit slippery, and a lot of the scene moved north of the river. I think as well, there was a, there was a, a a more accessible and a wider range of um, musical venues up there. Uh, uh, St Kilda's hanging in there. Uh, I mean, certainly COVID has has been incredibly destructive, you know, yep. as it has to everybody and everywhere. In terms of that, and some of the some of the really good venues, it felt like we were kind of just starting to maybe pull back some ground with George um, with the Dogs Bar. You know, that was seven nights a week. Uh, downstairs at the Newmarket, the Firefly was you know like really establishing itself. They'd spent a lot of money fixing it up as as a as a new venue and just got clobbered as well. Mm. Uh, I mean, that the, the God knows the margins are so slender with all of this stuff for business owners and, and promoters and, and bands as well, but, you know, for the people who are actually running the venues. And then there was Pure Pop Records, but, yeah, yeah I mean, there was utterly no money in it for Dave, you know. It was a total labour of love for a while. And uh, and then you got the whole noise complaint issue with a lot of venues yeah. where you'd, you'd have one neighbour just completely ruin the party for everybody. And, of course, there was Greyhound as well. Yes. The yeah. Greyhound, which is now a, a, a horrible mausoleum sitting on a corner with nothing going on there, you know, yeah. which is just, you know, a total waste. I mean, that that was the other scene, I suppose, that I was never really a part of with Hunters. You know, we didn't play the Greyhound. I guess that was the other part of, you know, the Espy and the Prince and, you know, the Greyhound as well. Yeah. So the Hunters and Collectors were obviously a very, very unique band. Do you think that was something... You know, th- that was great about St Kilda. There was such a mixed bag of different styles of music that were sort of widely acceptable and widely, you know, different bands interacted with each other maybe a bit more. I, I, totally, totally. Um, and, in fact, it was almost uh, it was almost like a point of pride that you had to be kind of different to the next band. It was a very non-genre-specific kind of music. You know, it was, wasn't a blues scene or a country scene. You know, mm. people might use elements of those musics, but really they were kind of creating something afresh. And certainly Hunters, you, you can say any band is the, the greater than the sum of its parts, you know, and becomes something greater. But the, the actual elements that were involved in Hunters from, from a six-piece brass section to the gas cylinders and hubcaps and the, and the, the long, long mesmerizing hypnotic kind of tracks like run 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 and those kind of songs it, it was it was very unique it was kind of very european i think a little yeah. bit it was it was a lot you know i mean the name hunters and collectors came from a band called can a german band called can that's they had a song called hunters and collectors and a lot of those bands and probably british bands as well that were like a combination kind of funk hypnotic funk but but you know with all these kind of slightly you know, uh, crazy elements in there as well. Like, I mean, the, the band was very aptly described as sounding like a zoo burning down years ago, <laughs> um, which I, I think summed it up pretty well. Uh, yeah, but it, look, I mean, every band, every band kind of had their little their, their signature, and and it was very competitive. You know, yeah. that's like you were a little tribe, and you were kind of there was not a lot of love between necessarily all the bands. You know, it was a very competitive and very you know, you were watching what the next band did and you were, you know, probably dissing them, you know, at every opportunity, you know, at friggin', you know, the friggin' birthday party, you know, blah, 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 you know, kind of, you know, and I'm sure we were getting the same back, you know, a bunch yeah. of wankers, you know, the friggin' hunters and collectors wankers, you know. I'm sure that, I'm sure that was going on. So there was a lot of that. But but certainly everyone was very 
going for individuality, you know, which, which yeah. sometimes I guess was longer lasting in some cases than others. Some some might have been a little bit more novel that didn't last the distance. Yeah, you know, okay. Or I guess with us we had to kind of we moved on. You know, we didn't we didn't stick with that um, scenario. You know, we kept evolving. Kept evolving. Um, so speaking of the hunters, um, you're doing some sort of reformation at the moment? Yes, yes. Us, us, us and a bunch of other old farts are out there on, on the road. Um, we busted up in 98 and vowed we'd never get back together again. But um, I, the big impetus for us kind of getting back into gear was that Sound Relief concert in 2009 at the MCG which was a phenomenal day for all the bands involved um, and obviously an incredibly, incredibly good cause as well. Uh, but Midnight All got back up there for the first time in 10 years. Split Ends played for the first time in God knows how long. Hunters played for the first time in 11 years. And to do that in front of 80,000 people, you know, going Amazing. nuts mm. was just like, oh, man, oh, okay, people still like us and we've still got this connection and... Uh, maybe we should do a bit more. So um, a, a great comeback year or so came up in 2014, 13 and 14 when we played the grand final with Springsteen and with the Stones and did our own tour and that was a phenomenal year or so. And I, and I guess we don't do it all the time because we don't want to uh, – we don't want to wear out our welcome, I guess, and just, just – um, just keep doing it just for the sake of doing it because, you know, I mean, we, we do pretty well out of it these days and a lot of bands just kind of play around and probably do wear out their welcome a little bit. So we kind of like to attempt to keep it special or like we like to think we keep it special. So, we're, yes, we're out on a red-hot summer tour at the moment, um, us and James Rain, Living End, a lot of other great bands, Baby Animals. And we get on at the end of the night and play in these amazing venues like Cockatoo Island last weekend and... Mornington Racecourse coming up and, and other great venues around the country and get to do our hour of power and, and it's just fantastic getting back together again and playing all those songs. It's, you know, it's, oh, it's, sure. a, it's still very, very special. Yep. Um, now, I believe you wrote a memoir collection recently. I did. I put a book out. Woo-hoo! Yeah. <laughs> Tell us about that. Came on the back again of that Oils tour um, where I, I ended up writing a blog, a Facebook blog, uh, about the tour, which kind of went up on the oil site um, and just, you know, proved to be pretty popular. And a lot of people kind of went, oh, you should write a book, you should write a book. And I just happened to have this great gap between the end of the tour and going back to my teaching job. I thought, i got to write a book. So I went through all the – and I kept a lot of old journals, 90% of which is never going to see the light of the day That's because it's completely embarrassing. Um, but – but um, I just kind of had a lot of old dates in there and a lot of old stories and I kind of realised, you know, being in a, a long-lived band, you kind of tell a lot of stories about the old days and, you know, and and eventually I thought, oh, well, that's actually what people put books together out of is they, precisely those old yeah. stories that they tell. So I thought I just, um, yeah, so I put out a book called Small Moments of Glory, which, which you know, got a pub, you know, came out through a publisher. hasn't sold a gazillion copies, but it's been really, you know, people really, really like it, yeah. and uh, it's it's still you know out and available, I think, and um, and it feels very good to have written a book. I'm really pleased to have done that because it, it includes a lot of early family stuff as well, and kind of you know managed to document post life, post hunters, and the blog from the oils tour, but certainly an awful lot of 
hunters and deep inside the beast, you know, from back in the 80s and 90s. Um, you know, probably every other member of the band would dispute the truth of what I wrote, but that's the way <laughs> it works, you know. That's the way that, that works. My truth is completely different to Mark's truth as the yeah, Doug's truth, course. you know. Oh, it's another achievement to add to the list, isn't it? Another project to... Another project. I'd yeah. call it another project. I just yeah. like... I don't like standing still and I don't like being idle. I've just got to have something going on. So that was another something that was going another on. Something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jack, it's been so nice to have you come in and chat to us today. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your thoughts and stories with us and we look forward to hearing what you're up to next. Cheers. Thanks, Ellie. Thank Thanks you. a lot. Well, that was great to hear from such an accomplished musician. Thank you for all for tuning in for another episode. St Kilda really has something to celebrate with its hub of such unique musical styles and such passionate artists. Please join us again soon as we continue to look back and unearth what made it so great. You're going home in the back of a This podcast was recorded on the land of the Kulin Nation. I'd like to thank the St Kilda Historical Society and its committee for the opportunity to carry out this project and for all their support along the way. The Historical Society does a lot of work throughout the year to preserve the history of our local area and make it accessible for all. Members pay $20 a year to join and receive three newsletters per year full of information and great stories. They have events throughout the year, including local history walks, talks and presentation of new research. See their website, stkildahistory.org.au, for more information. Our local council, the City of Port Phillip, does so much to support the magnificent arts here in St Kilda. A big thank you to the council for their funding in this podcast series as part of their Cultural Development Fund. Thank you for seeing the value of this project and, in particular, thank you to Sharon Dawson for your guidance along the way. We look forward to seeing the other projects from this round of funding come to fruition as well. Sending out a big thank you to the animals for their assistance with the promotional side of this project. The animals are a one-stop shop for advertising, brand building and idea generation and have collaborated with many companies both here in Melbourne and around Australia. See their website, theanimals.com.au, for more. The Unplugged in St Kilda podcast was recorded at Big Ears Audio, 97 Wellington Street, St Kilda. I'd like to take a moment to thank Tony, Adrian, Laz and their team for doing such a brilliant job recording, editing and producing the series and for their professional advice along the way. And last but not least, I'd like to thank my wonderful volunteers who helped me put this series together, all the artists who gave their time for interviews and to you, the listener, for joining me. I've had a great time creating this project and I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you.